Go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 46 through 56. And, and as you're turning there, just want to ask you um, maybe to consider what is the most significant thing you have done in your life or have been a part of? Or uh, what is the most significant thing you think you will do in your life or hope to do in your life? Or what is the most significant thing someone can do in life? If we were to uh, ask, maybe take a poll, whether here or just go out on the street and take a poll of that question, what is the most significant thing that a person can do in their life? We'll probably get differing answers, right? Some may say, um, find your soulmate. Uh, some may say, you know, uh, have children, you know, continue this uh, thing we call humanity, bring kids into the world. Some may say, don't bring kids into the world. Um, some may say, you know, give back to society. That's the most significant thing we can do is we give back and not just sucking air here, but contributing to society. Some may uh, say, you know, have a good career, like do something with your life and, and, and have a good career. And that's the most significant thing you can do. But what I hope is this morning, we will all agree uh, to this, and that's this, the most significant thing that we will or can do in this life is to worship God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the most significant thing we will ever do or can do in this life is to worship God. Remember Jesus in John chapter 4, he's talking to a woman at a well and a woman who was a worshiper but of created things rather than the creator. Uh, Specifically, you know, in the text, uh, she was finding her identity, her hope in men. And Jesus says to her in that conversation, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's in John 4, 23 and 24. You think of what we do as followers of Jesus, the point of evangelism. The point of evangelism is that other people would worship God. The point of missions is that other peoples would worship the God of the universe, the true God through Jesus Christ. We've seen in Luke up to this point that Mary is an example for us of true biblical discipleship. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's discipleship. That's true fellowship. Whatever may be, may be. I'm your servant, Lord. I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it is. Whatever you bring into my life, I submit because I am your servant. That's true Fellowship is true discipleship. And we see today that she's not just a good example for us in discipleship, but a good example, example for us in worship. And so let's read the text, verses 46 through 56 of Luke 1, and stand together as I read. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace that you have lavished on us in Christ Jesus. And as we come this morning, we ask you to help us. As we approach your word, we want to be worshipers. We want to be the kind of worshipers that you are seeking, Lord. We don't want to just gather. We don't just want to sit here. We want to worship. And so would you help us by your spirit, Lord, I pray. Give us affections for you. I pray that for those who are here and and just struggling with doubts, struggling with unbelief, I pray that you just set them free from that, Lord. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, the text today is just an outburst of praise. Think of the circumstances that have led up to this for Mary. An angel appears to Mary, tells her that she's going to bear a son, although she is a virgin. And that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, although she is barren and past the age of childbearing. For, the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary, believing, goes in faith to see her relative Elizabeth. And they, we saw last week, rejoice together over what the Lord is doing in their lives. These impossible things they are experiencing with God. And when she arrives, because of the presence of Jesus, John, the baby inside of Elizabeth, literally leaps for joy, it says, in his mother's womb. And at that, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and rejoices with Mary. And at this point, Mary has had as much as her young heart can handle. And she just bursts out with praise, bursts out in worship. She's overflowing with joy and gratitude, with worship. She begins to sing out to the Lord. And her first words are very significant. My soul magnifies the Lord. As we get into this, it's important for us to understand that word there for magnify in the original Greek, it has an ongoing tense. So it's not like Mary just comes to her senses now and says, oh, I should worship. God's doing stuff. I should worship. This is an ongoing. This is my heart is just continuing to overflow and magnify the Lord. Just a continual worship from Mary of the Lord. And what I want us to do today is to learn from her and to worship with her. Three things that we can learn from Mary's worship as we look through the text today. Three things that we can learn from her worship. And I want to encourage you, I know many of you do this already, but I want to encourage you to take notes, write these three things down. If worship of God through Jesus Christ is the most significant thing that we can do, then any time we can learn from someone in the scriptures 
how to do the most significant thing we can do in this life better. That we want to take note of that. We want to learn from that. We want to grow in that because we want to be better worshipers. We want to be the kind of worshiper that the Father is seeking. We don't want to be average worshipers. We want to be worshipers that bring Him the glory that He deserves. And so if there's any lessons we can learn in the Scriptures about how to worship We want to take note of that. And so three things that I think we can learn from Mary about worship. The first one is this. When you worship, magnify God. When you worship, magnify God. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says. That's how Mary begins and where she remains. You think that word magnify. What does it mean to magnify something? You can, you can magnify something by taking something very tiny that you can't see with your human eye and put it in a microscope, right? You take this little tiny thing, you put it in a microscope and you look through the lens of the microscope and it's magnifying that tiny thing, right? And, and you get to see what this tiny cell or whatever it is you're looking at, what does it look like for real, I wouldn't be able to recognize that in another way. That's one way of magnifying, but that's not what magnifying the Lord means. Magnifying the Lord is not like the magnification of a microscope. It's like the magnification of a telescope. You think of a telescope and you look through a telescope and you see the vastness of things that are so much bigger than yourself. You look at the universe through a telescope and, and what you're doing as it magnifies is you're just kind of focusing in on, on characteristics or things that you can recognize about this vast display that is the universe. That's what it means to magnify the Lord. We're not taking something small and making it appear bigger. We're taking something that we can't even comprehend and focusing in on the intricacies and the beauty and the elements of this great, magnificent thing, which is God and worshiping, magnifying, making known his greatness. To magnify God means to make something that is bigger than we can comprehend to be made known, to boast in it, to make its bigness, greatness seen, to put on display so that others might see his greatness. It means to extol God. Mary is making his presence and his work more well known. The work of the Lord in her life, boasting in what the Lord is doing. It's what we ought to do in our worship. We know that Mary is experiencing the working of God in her life and she's giving him credit, magnifying the Lord for his work. I encourage you to ask yourself, is that what I tend to do? I tend to give the Lord credit for the good things that he's doing in my life or, or am I more on cruise control when things are good? And then when things begin to unwind, I wait, wait a minute, God, what's going on here, God? You're not giving me the things that I deserve. Are we like Mary as the Lord is doing things in our life? We're magnifying the Lord, giving him credit, giving him the praise due for those things. We ought to see God's work in our lives. Mary's in a very unique situation, right? I mean, she literally has the person of Jesus inside of her. That's unique, right? No one else got that. That's once in a whole, not just lifetime, but ever occurrence. 
She has Jesus literally inside her. But think about that for us. Jesus, when he's with his disciples in John 16, he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then we learn from Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 13, that when we believe in him, we were sealed. We were given and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The same promise that Jesus made in John 16. That promise is fulfilled when we put our hope in Jesus. And at that very moment, that very nanosecond, we are given his Holy Spirit inside of us. God dwelling in us. Paul telling the Corinthians in First. Uh, Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit dwelling in you. We have God living and dwelling in us, and so it should be abnormal to not see His work. To not see evidences that would cause us to magnify the Lord. You may ask, Tony, what if I'm not seeing His work? What if I don't see his work? I would encourage you, come and worship him. His work is a sin-convicting and fruit-producing work. And so even if you are walking away from him in disobedience and you feel the work of conviction in your life, glorify him for that. That is an absolute, divine, loving work of God saying, I'm not okay with you walking away. I'm not okay with you going off in disobedience. I want you back. I want you to come back to me and worship me the way that I deserve to be worshipped. And so if you experience even that work of conviction in your life, magnify God as a gracious and loving Proof that he is alive and working on your behalf. And if you are walking with him and you experience that fruit producing work of God, give him credit and magnify him for that. You and I are not naturally loving people. We're not joyful people. We're not peaceful. We're not patient. We're not kind. We're not good. We're not faithful. We're not self-controlled people. And when we see evidences of that in our life, it's because of God. It's all because of him. That's work that he's doing in us and growing us. And, and the response that we ought to have in those very, very, very good things is turning to him like Mary does and crying out, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's not me. That's you, God. You're doing that and producing that in me. My soul magnifies you, God. We worship him. We respond to the work he's doing in our lives with worship. That's what Mary is doing here extols God. Verse 47, it says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She magnifies the Lord. She's rejoicing in God. Rejoicing in who He is and what He's done and what He is doing. I encourage you to ask yourself, am I rejoicing in God? Is my soul rejoicing in Him? You see her rejoicing, focusing in on three of his characteristics. Rejoicing in who he is, his character. First, rejoicing in his power. 
Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary's dependent on his power, not on hers to get her through this. God is able. That's what Mary's saying here. God is able. God and God alone is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. She's in an impossible situation. She's a virgin who is pregnant with the Son of God, Savior of the world. That's impossible except for Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that she asks or thinks. She's rejoicing in His power and His might and His ability to get her through. Psalm 50, verse 1, The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. God is mighty. He is powerful. He's worthy of our worship. Psalm 62, 7, On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Mary, as she's worshiping, she magnifies the Lord and rejoices in His power. And she rejoices, secondly, in His holiness. Verse 49, holy is His name. It's referring to the whole person there, whole being as holy. Mary's declaring God is a holy God. My spirit rejoices in God who is a holy God, set apart in all of his ways. My spirit rejoices in his otherness. My spirit rejoices in his holiness. You think of the angels who just continue to cry out. We see in Isaiah 6, verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Completely set apart. Different, other than us. My spirit rejoices in the God who is set apart. She rejoices in His mercy, thirdly. She rejoices in His mercy. When you worship, magnify God and rejoice in Him, rejoice in His power, rejoice in His holiness, rejoice in His mercy. It's what we see with Mary, verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Rejoicing in His holiness. He's completely other than us. Not comprehensible. Set apart in all of his ways, perfect, unapproachable, dwelling in unapproachable light. And yet that God she rejoices in who is holy, holy, holy is merciful. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy is certain for those who fear him. And Mary rejoices in that truth. His mercy is certain for those who fear Him. Remember, we rejoiced in that truth as we went through the book of Jonah, where Jonah declares His glory. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It didn't matter what Jonah's attitude was as he declared it. It was still absolutely true. He's merciful, this holy God who is merciful to us. 
That's not the end of Mary magnifying God. She magnifies him as, as, as she rejoices in his power and holiness and mercy, but that's not the end of her magnifying God. She begins to boast in this theme that we're going to see throughout the, the Gospel of Luke as we go through. We're going to focus in on this more and more and more. But this kingdom upside down theme. It's she declares in verses 51 through 53, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Kingdom upside down. Scattered the proud, referring to their thoughts, not just their arrogant actions. He says, she says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Not just in the expression of their pride, but in the thinking of their pride. Those thoughts that are hidden from everyone else thinking, I'm so much better than that person. Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. Brought down the mighty, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. As one commentator says, he turns the human attitudes and orders of society upside down. Mary magnifies God and his work and his kingdom that is coming, this upside down kingdom. Worshipping the God who is not bound by what people do or what they expect. The kingdom of God is coming in Christ and his kingdom doesn't work as we naturally think. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry, sends the righteous and rich away empty. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so when you worship, magnify God. And secondly, when you worship, be humble. Be humble. He sends the righteous sends the rich away empty, those who think that they can handle it themselves. When you worship, be humble. Verse 48, she says, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Mary comes to the Lord humbly, Again, declaring that she's just a servant. I'm merely a servant. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm nothing. He's everything. He owes me nothing. She knows that she does not deserve any of the good things that are coming to her through Christ. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. This is the Lord speaking. He says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Anytime in the scriptures we see a phrase where God himself is saying, this is the one on whom I will look, our ears and our hearts ought to perk up. Okay, who, what, what is it? He says, this is the one on whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. When you worship, be Humble. Mary also reveals her her humility in verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Again, she's declaring her need to be rescued, to be saved, to be forgiven, to be washed, to be cleansed. 
My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She understands, just as Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those who come acknowledging, I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer you, Lord. There's nothing. There's just nothing I can give. Help. Apart from you, I can do nothing. When you worship, be humble. R.C. Sproul says this, If you cannot magnify God, it is probably because you are magnifying yourself. If you cannot magnify God, it's probably because you're magnifying yourself. When you come to worship, when you worship, be humble. Come to Him humbly as Mary comes. He does not turn the humble away. 1 Peter 5, James 4 tells us He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So come. When you worship, magnify God. And secondly, when you worship, be humble. And third, when you worship, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you worship, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mary is filled with the Spirit, overflowing in worship and directed by God's word. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. John Piper says this, Mary is so steeped in Scripture that when she breaks out in praise, the words that come out naturally to her lips are the words of Scripture. She is drawing on this bank that has been built up and this love and knowledge of God's Word and specifically of Hannah's prayer. You remember the story of Hannah? 1 Samuel 2, she, she prays. Hannah is a, a woman who had no children. She was ridiculed, abused because of it. And she cries out to the Lord. She prays to the Lord. And the Lord is gracious and answers her prayer. And she worships. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she prays in response to the Lord's working in her life. And she says this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder 
in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Mary's drawing off of her knowledge of God's word. You look at the parallel expressions in these thoughts, this prayer and this song. Hannah says, my heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. And Mary echoes, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hannah prays, there is none holy like the Lord. And Mary echoes, holy is his name. Hannah prays, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And Mary sings, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Hannah prays, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And Mary echoes, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary's worship is an overflow of her heart, and her heart is filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We see after that, at the end of Mary's song there, she's also drawing on her understanding of God's promise to Abraham. Being led by the Holy Spirit, she's declaring in worship That what God is doing is a continuation of God's promised blessing to Abraham and to his offspring. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ Mary drawing on her understanding and knowledge and of God's word that she's hidden in her heart. See, Mary didn't have a Bible like this. Mary didn't walk around with the scriptures bound in leather or hardback or whatever else. She didn't have a Bible. But she loved God and she loved his word so much that she had it stored up in her heart. So that when she worships, she's drawing on God's own words to guide and direct her worship of God. She loved him and she loves his word. To ask yourself, does the word of Christ dwell in me so richly? That my worship of God is filled with and directed by his own word. Remember Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman. This is the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. He who worships in spirit and in truth. And we know Jesus in John 17 as he's praying for us. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. When we worship, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's a privilege. It is a privilege for both young and old. Mary was a young teenager, probably 14, 15. Some people estimate maybe 13 years old. And when she bursts out in worship, she's drawing on the wellspring of God's word that she loved and hid in her heart. It's a privilege. It's a privilege She didn't have to carry around a Bible. She had it hidden in her heart. 
She loved God. She loved his word, and so she memorized it. She knew it. She could draw from it. It's a privilege. It's a privilege, young people. It's a privilege to study and memorize God's word. Fathers and mothers, it is a privilege of yours to cast the seed onto the hearts of your children, to help them memorize it and to help them love it. Our goal as parents is not just to get the word into their heads so they can spit it out. It's to get it into their hearts so they love it and they love the God who spoke it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You meditate on that text and what you find out is there's no loopholes There's no open times. There's no free times where we step away from the influence of God's word. The command is, let it infiltrate your life. Let it influence every part of your day from the time you rise to the time you lie down. Every part of your day influenced by the word of Christ. It's a privilege to memorize God's word. Parents, memorize God's word and delight in God's word so that as you teach God's word, your children will see that you believe God's word and that the word is good and that God is mighty and holy and merciful. When you worship, magnify God. For he alone is worthy. And when you worship, be humble. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to move into a time where we take communion. And I want us to consider Mary's worship and her words, even as we go into communion, where she says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That is why we take communion. Because the Lord has looked on our humble estate and sent his son who was broken and bruised for our transgression. Body broken and blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And he tells us, remember me as you take the bread that symbolizes my body and as you drink from the cup that symbolizes my blood, remember Me, remember my body that was broken for you. Remember my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So that as we come together to take communion, we do it joyfully. We need to remember. We go through a text like this and we go through three points like this about worship. And when you worship, magnify God. I'm not doing that like I should. When you worship, be humble. I am the most prideful person I have ever met on the planet. And when you worship, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, I know I'm, I'm not reading the Bible enough, and I know that I'm not memorizing the, the Bible enough. And man, gosh, and just beat yourself up and just hammer yourself and pour on more and more and more and more guilt. And Jesus says, when you take communion, remember my blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins so that there's no condemnation for you in me. 
You are hidden in me. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees perfection. We don't do these things. We don't worship and magnify God and and be humble and, 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 and glorify God by hiding God's word in our heart to earn his favor. We do it because we have his favor in Christ. We do these things as a response to the truth of the gospel, what we remember when we take the bread and the cup. So that when we take the bread and the cup, we do it with joy in our hearts, knowing we're forgiven. I'm unworthy. I can come humbly because I know I'm unworthy. And the God who is holy and mighty and wonderful has made a way for me to know him. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that I could be set free. There's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. John Calvin says this, taking the Lord's Supper must be preceded by an acknowledgement that we are dead in ourselves, for he alone is our life. We're nothing. Humility should come easy for us when we just think about God and what he's done. He is everything, and we must come humbly and thankfully and joyfully to the table, rejoicing in the work that he has accomplished. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so, so good to us. I ask you for your help. As we hold this bread, as we hold this cup, that we would truly remember because of Jesus, as we identify, as we think and remember and identify with your body and your blood, help us to remember that we are completely forgiven, set free, no condemnation for us in Christ. As you look at us, Father, you see your Son. We are holy and blameless before you. And would you, by your Spirit, as we rejoice in that truth, would you help us, help us to respond rightly to the work, the good work that you are doing in our life. And help us, like Mary, to respond with worship and magnify you, Lord. Come to you humbly, Would you let the word of Christ dwell in us so richly, Lord, that as we overflow in worship, we draw from the truth of your word to give back to you worship that is in spirit and in truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.